We get to continue our sermon series this morning, looking at uh, deeds and words is our topic this morning, but we're continuing the series, Let's Climb, and uh, looking at an active faith life, especially when conditions are rough. Uh, Obviously, I'm not just talking about the weather, but uh, there are many times in which we are following Jesus when it's easier to say the right thing and harder to do the right thing. And so that's our focus today. How is it uh, that there is this gap between what we say and what we do? And what does God have for us? So we're going to get into it this morning. We're going to continue reading from James. James chapter 2, we're going to pick up at verse 14, which is right where we left off last week. And we're going to read all the way through to chapter 3, verse 12. So it's a big chunk, um, but I think it's going to go pretty quickly. So just invite you to follow along on the screen. And I'll read for us the words, uh, the word from God uh, through the Apostle James. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it's not accompanied with action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did When he offered his son Isaac on the altar. So you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And so scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. And that word considered is very important. In the same way, not, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we can make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With a tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Of course not. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So far, the reading of God's word. Now, when Kaylee and I lived in the United States, there was for a number of years a debate raging across every part of the country. It didn't matter your political affiliation or what state you lived in. And it had to do with comments like the Twitter post that I put up behind me. I don't know who Senator Tillis is, and I don't know what tragedy he was tweeting about. But this was a pattern that repeated itself time and time again across the United States. Some tragic event happened, a natural disaster or or a horrific accident, maybe even a shooting. Very quickly, politicians and celebrities, public personalities would find some sort of public area, either uh, on TV or uh, online, and they would say something like what Senator Tillis said in that tweet. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and with the community. Now, that would be followed up with maybe a little bit of money, and then they'd forget about it. Weeks would go go by, months might go by, and then tragedy would strike again. And the same people would speak up again. Even Christians speak up again and say, our thoughts and prayers are with them too. Maybe give a little bit of money, but nothing would change. The cycle would continue again and again and again. Leaders and celebrities, even Christians, kept saying the same, same words and doing nothing. So people got angry. They started saying things like, we don't want your thoughts and prayers. We want action. So what are Christians to do with a world that doesn't want prayer? What do we do with a world that doesn't want prayer? Well, let me answer that question with another question. What do you think prayer is? What difference do you think prayer makes? When you offer your thoughts and prayers, or if you offer your thoughts and prayers to someone, what do you think will really happen? Maybe you think that prayer is about asking God to do everything for you. You have some need or struggle or hope, and you offer it to God in prayer. And then you forget about it. And when you return to God, or you return to your problem and it's still there, you're you're saddened because nothing has changed. Maybe on the other hand, you think that prayer is what Christians are supposed to do. That's what we do. We were supposed to be praying. But you don't really expect that anything will change. So you might pray before meals or say a lot of prayers like, well, God bless this and God bless that. You carry on with your life without any expectation that your situation will be different because you prayed. You just go through the motions and then carry on with your life as if everything depends on you. Real prayer Prayer for Christians is a conversation between a person, any one of us, or even all of us, but prayer is a conversation between a person and God. 
Real prayer is a conversation that's based on a relationship with God. A relationship of complete trust in God and complete submission to God. As James reminds us, of course, none of us trust God perfectly, nor do we submit our lives to God completely. But prayer is still a conversation with God based on trust in Him and submission to Him. It means when when we come to God in prayer, we ought to know who God is and trust that God will do what God says. That God will talk with me, with you when you pray. We We ought also, when we come to God in prayer, to commit to doing what God calls us to do. Something he tells us to do while we pray or something he tells us to do in his word. But we don't do that. Certainly not always and nor perfectly. There's always a gap between our words and our deeds. Every person on earth has some gap between what they say and what they do. For some people, the gap seems very big and cavernous. And those people we love or or we, we are comfortable calling hypocrites. For other people, perhaps the gap between what they say and do seems very small. But if you're a Christian and you have a gap between what you say and what you do, I want to suggest to you that the reason there's a gap there is because in at least one area of your life, you don't trust God to do what God says, and equally, you aren't committed to doing what God has called you to do. In other words, if there's a gap between what you say and what you do as a Christian, it's because there's a gap in your relationship with God. Because you see, God is the only one who perfectly does everything He says. A relationship with God without the expectation of the supernatural power of God to intervene in our natural world, that kind of relationship is empty, maybe even worthless. If you claim to have a relationship with God, but you don't expect that God will ever be involved in your life, that He will never change your circumstance, He will never move in your heart, He will never affect your situation or the world around you, then that is not much of a God that you are praying to. Likewise, prayer without a life lived to match it is also empty. If you don't believe in the supernatural power of God to intervene in the world and intervene in your life, then why are you talking to God? The worst case scenario might be that we are using religious language to cover up our discomfort or to hide behind because we are unwilling to act. In other words, that we would use the kind of language of thoughts and prayers as an excuse for us to do nothing, but also because we would use that language even though we don't believe that God will do anything. That would be the worst case scenario. That you set, Talking about thoughts and prayers is just a way of backing off ourselves without any expectation that God will do anything. Brothers and sisters, that's not how Christians are called to live. That's the attitude of our world. 
People who do not believe in God have no reason to put their stock in prayers because they have no reason to expect that God will work in their lives or in our world. But James is not just interested in an academic conversation about our deeds and our actions. James is talking about practical morality. He's interested in the real-world applications of the teachings of Jesus. So it might be interesting to imagine a world where there's zero gap between our words and our actions for all people, but James invites and challenges Christians in particular to take a practical step to close that gap. Why? Because James wants Christians to be like Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who doesn't have that gap between what he said and what he did. Do you want to be more like Jesus? It may seem like an obvious question in a church at a worship service where all of you have intentionally come and and, uh, had to brush off your car or at least drive on icy streets. Do you want to be like Jesus? It might seem like an obvious question, but when we look around at the state of Christianity in North America, at struggles in our own denomination, our, our region, and even our congregation, it's easy for us to see that we are not always following Jesus. So do we want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Let me make a suggestion to you by way of analogy. Kaylee and I have gone to several concerts. My wife and I have gone to several concerts in the Arts Building downtown. We have a number of different theaters there and lots of different options throughout the year. You can go see a theater show. You can go see uh, music. And every time we leave, whatever we've seen, we always say, wow, what a great show. And then as the conversation continues, we might have some uh, constructive criticism some idea of how things might have gone a little better, a little differently, or, oh, did you think they maybe missed something? But never once has, have we left and considered becoming actors after watching a theater show. What about you? Of course, I'm speaking by way of analogy here. When you gather together with other Christians and you hear a sermon and you sing songs, You might walk away and you might say to yourself, wow, what a good preacher. Or wow, what a bad preacher. You might say to yourself, wow, the music was great today. You might even have some suggestions for how it could have been better, things they might have missed. But the key question is this. Because of what you have seen and heard, because of what you have said, will you become more like Jesus? In other words, are you just a spectator and an audience, even a really engaged spectator who stands and claps and sits and and speaks at all the right times? Are you a spectator or are you a follower of Jesus? Do you want to become more like Jesus? Because being a spectator might lead you to appreciate Jesus might lead you to be impressed by some of the things that Jesus said or did a long time ago. It might even lead you to be interested to wonder if God is still busy in the world today 
But being a follower of Jesus is a different thing entirely. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to become more like Jesus, then you will begin to see and begin to look for opportunities in every area of your life. So that wherever you go, whatever you do, your heart will be more open to listening to God and what he's saying to you. God has a purpose for every single person. He has given gifts to every one of his people. Gifts or talents. At least one. And God has entrusted you to use the gifts that he's given you for the purpose that he has for you. To pursue that calling or purpose that God has for you requires faith. It requires trust in God. It also requires faithfulness. It requires obedient action and a response to God. We don't need a church that is filled with ministers. Can you imagine just dueling pulpits all around the service sanctuary every Sunday? We don't need a service that continues on and on and on with more words and better words. It might seem nice for a moment, but consider that then we would also have the same limitations, the same blind spots. We'd all spend our time in the same places and we would all miss the same people in the same places. God doesn't need a church filled with one kind of people with one kind of gift. He has given us each and all different callings and different gifts. Each of us who are committed to following Jesus. And he's entrusted us with particular gifts so that we can use those gifts for the particular purpose that he has for each of us. In all kinds of places in Calgary and beyond. Now, of course, none of us would be so bold as to say, oh, well, I I know what my gifts are, um, and I know what God's purpose is is for me, but none of us would be so bold as to say, oh, well, I don't care about deeds. But we quickly see our priorities, or we quickly see our care for deeds when we talk about our priorities. For example, when it comes to talking about morality or how people should behave, do we first make sure that we're saying the right thing And then we worry about figuring out how to accompany that right word with action. I think that's usually how we do it. We make sure that first we say the right thing about morality and then we figure out the details of how actually to care for others. Or maybe when it comes to the care that we offer others, is it more important for us to say the word welcome on a Sunday morning or to go out of our way to serve other people? It's certainly easier to say welcoming things rather than to do welcoming things. So what will we do? What will you do? The best TED Talk or sermon in the world might inspire you for five minutes or maybe even for 30 minutes. The best play or concert in the world might fill your heart and inspire your soul for an afternoon or an evening. The next morning, you're going to get up You're going to move on with your life. If you really want to change your life, you need an example to follow. You see, our text reminds us today, James reminds us, that none of us is perfect. We fail, we fall short in all kinds of ways. In his closing words, the last few sentences, he reminds us that 
the imperfections in all of us will tear us apart if we don't address them. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James wants us to remember that inconsistency between good words and inaction, even or between words and good words, and inaction, doing nothing, or between blessings and cursing, is unsustainable. Eventually, we will become whole people. People who either have the integrity to do and say the right things, or people who are neither interested in doing nor in saying what is good and right, what God calls us to do. Eventually, it will tip one way or the other. What James wants us to do is to look to the perfect example of Jesus. And not just to look at Jesus, not just to listen to Jesus, but to follow Jesus. To become a disciple of Jesus. Someone who listens to what Jesus says, but also who who does what Jesus did. Someone who says the kinds of things that Jesus says. Someone who lives the kind of life that Jesus lived. Did the actions that Jesus did. This is why our deeds are so important. Because when we act like Jesus, we show Jesus to other people. So that they might follow Jesus' way as well. The perfect way of Jesus is the only way for any of us to find freedom from that unsustainable tension that is common to all of humanity. Our good deeds, in other words, show our faith. That's James's point when he talks about uh, Abraham and when he talks about Rahab. Not that their good deeds earned them something. Their good deeds showed their faith. Their good deeds, in other words, were moments of alignment Moments when the good that they believed and the good that they did aligned properly and well and proved that their faith was working, moving them forward. James knows that faith is a gift from God. Deeds are our part, our response to God, which other people see. Others will not see God moving in our lives in supernatural ways in the same way that they would see someone wearing a red t-shirt, in the same way that they would see our actions. Good deeds prove God to be righteous and good and honorable. Good deeds improve our own lives and improve others' lives as well because they demonstrate the joy and the peace And the flourishing that comes when our lives, our words and our lives are aligned. The English word, I already said it, but the English word for doing good deeds and saying good things is integrity. Integrity means that what we say, we will do. Integrity is a priority for God. The right words following and connected to the right action. Throughout this series, Pastor Harrison and I have said that we would highlight a practical temptation 
uh, in each sermon throughout this series. And the one I want to hold up for you this morning is our temptation to talk more than we act or to talk before we act. It feels very good to make a promise to do something good. It feels very good to to say what we know is the right thing. To use James' example, be warm, be fed. Feels very good to say, I hope that works out for you. But are we people, if we are people of integrity, then we must follow up those words with actions. Integrity powerfully connects words and actions because God always connects his word with his action. In creation, God speaks, let there be light, and there is light. He speaks and and creates the world, and the world is there. In Exodus, God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And when Moses obeys, God delivers his people. When God decides to save humanity from our sin and from our shame, he did not just speak the words. Although he could have, he sent his own beloved son. He put his word into action. So much so that John tells us in his gospel that the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the word of God, perfectly connecting word and deed so that they cannot be separated. Jesus is the ultimate example of God's integrity to speak and to act powerfully together. This is why Jesus is our example, our perfect example to follow. Not just as individuals, although that's certainly true, but also as a community. We have many differences in our community, but we have one thing that we all share in common. Our desire, our purpose to follow Jesus. Some of you are regularly concerned about separation or lack of unity within River Park Church or within our denomination. That's a good thing to be concerned about and worried about. You want what is good. You want all of us to join together and do everything together. But brothers and sisters, are you willing to follow Jesus' example? Are you willing to serve as Jesus served? Are you willing to give as God gave? Are you willing to go to others just as God went to those he loved? Or will you just wait for others to change or others to come to you? James's concern, as I said earlier, is for practical morality. James is interested in the real-world application of Jesus' teachings, especially when it comes to the family of God. So what will our family look like? A month from now, a year from now, ten years from now. The witness of the early church that James wrote to was not some thoughtful evangelism plan or some perfect structure. The witness of the church that James wrote to was how deeply they loved each other. The church cared for one another. They didn't wait. 
They didn't complain about how they were treated unfairly in society. They simply and consistently loved God and loved one another with their words and with their actions. They didn't do it perfectly either. But they did it to some degree that it was seen by everyone or seen by others and it was immediately attractive to others. So what about us? A few thousand years later, what about us? What about you personally? As we close today, I want to share with you a quote from Yaroslav Pelikan, who's an American theologian and teacher. And it may not seem relevant at first, but I'm going to read it twice because I don't have it on the screen behind me. So just invite you to listen. Yaroslav Pelikan says, Tradition is the living faith of dead people, to which we must add our chapter while we have the gift of life. On the other hand, traditionalism is the dead faith of living people who fear that if anything changes, the whole enterprise will crumble. Like I said, I'll read it again. Tradition is the living faith of dead people to which we must add our chapter while we have the gift of life. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living people who fear that if anything changes, the whole enterprise will crumble. My point in sharing that quote with you as we close is that at River Park Church, we follow the tradition of the church. That is the tradition of Jesus. We follow the tradition of the church, of those who have died before us and gone to be with God. We serve a goal and a purpose that is greater than ourselves. We're part of a story that is greater than ourselves. And we do good deeds, not for ourselves, but as a celebration and a testimony to God's gift of life in us. His God's gift of life within us and through us to others. For as long as He gives it. Our temptation is always traditionalism. Our temptation is always not to act, to fear that if anything changes, the whole enterprise will crumble. Our temptation remains to talk more than we act, which is true, James reminds us, especially for teachers. Our temptation is to stop serving a bigger goal and just talk about it. We fall into this temptation when we give in to fear. So as we close, you know our identity as a community. People who are with our words and with our lives are following Jesus. You are a part of our community. And so you're invited and challenged to become a deeper part of it. If our identity is as followers of Jesus, disciples and learners of Jesus with our ears, with our mouths, with our whole lives, what about you? What does it look like for you to follow Jesus with integrity? To to step up from being a spectator and to be an active follower. As we close in prayer, I want to remind you that prayer is the expression of our hearts to God. Prayer is our words to God and from God. But then also as God speaks to us in prayer, He sends us out to live our lives. And our lives are an expression of our heart to others and God's heart to others. So let's come to Him in prayer.
God, we come to you once again this morning. We're thankful for the gifts and the talents that you have given us. God, I ask even as we pray now that you would call to mind in our hearts the gifts and the talents that you have given us. Ask that you would call to mind in our hearts and in our minds the answers to prayer that we sang about before the sermon. God, I ask that you would remind us and speak to us in prayer in this next song about your goodness to us about your calling and your purpose for us. And that, God, you would send us out this week. And that as we walk out those rear doors, we would experience you going with us, that we would know that we are not alone, that your goodness and your love surround us, that your spirit goes with us and empowers our action. Father, hear our prayer and go with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.